and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 203. I'm Sean, and here's Ronan. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Thank you very much for joining us. Now, you've been with us on the epic journey of our top 100 of all time. We just thought we'd do a sort of a follow-up cousin show. Cousin show, you like that, Sean? To <laughs> what we did. In the, There may well be some games that we missed out, and you might be saying you're an idiot. How did you not mention this? How did you not mention that? We thought it might be interesting to look back over the last 20 years and pick one game each out of every year that was released in that year that we've never played and we thought might be a contender for our top 100 had we had the chance a little bit of a dig through what may have been Sean in other words the make Sean sad episode or make Ronan think about that six pack he never got (laughs) what might have I could have been an underwear model right you listen, you've got a keg. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I just think underwear models don't, you don't have to look at the face. That's all I was just thinking. Or an unusual hat model. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. There's not much more to it, Sean. Kick us off. We're going all the way back. In this episode, by the way, we're just doing 10 years because it will take forever to do 20 years in one go. And then we're going to do another 10 year retrospective, uh, you know, later on sometime. Sean, we're going all the way back to 2002 before either of us had kids. So, the one for me from 2002 was Mexica. What it is, it's, it's an abstract tile-laying game where you're making islands and you're surrounding things and a bit of area control in there. It's one that I've seen played at various lobster cons. Um, Natalie has said really good things about it. I know Lloyd really likes it. Apparently, it's very easy to learn, really good interaction. And I think what made it come to the fore for me was the reprint in, I think it was about 2015, where it actually looked like a nice game as opposed to just being a good game. So that's the one for me that I've missed out. Why have I missed out on it? Because of the original box, as I alluded to there. The original box just made it look horrible. The original components weren't great, but the reprint really put it on my radar. Still haven't quite got to it, but yeah, Mexico's my choice for 2002, Ronan. I have played it. A few times, and I thought I knew it, and then Lloyd got it out quite recently, as soon as you mentioned him, and said, you know how to play this, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but it was quick to relearn. Rachel never played it, so we taught her. It didn't take that long. What you'll find, I think, that by thinking you know how to play it, is that you don't actually know how to play it very well. And as soon as we played the full play game of it, we all went, we need to play that again soon. Because it's got... Beyond the mechanisms, the subtleties of the interactions and how you cut people off, it's absolutely cutthroat. You have to be mean to each other. It has got a bit of that ruthless, like, 20 years ago game into it where there's no release valve for the pressure that the players are putting each other under. You are looking at each other going, I can't believe you just did that. But because it's happening often enough, it's not like a once-a-game swing kingmaker. It all comes together incredibly well. It's part of that Mars trilogy. They're all fantastic games. Mexica, Tikal, and Java. And I recommend all of them, Sean. And this would be a fantastic choice for you to get played. Mexica is very good. And would, I think, had I had more regular plays of it over the past 15 years, have been pushing towards my top 100. But they've all been, after the initial rush of play, spaced out enough that it didn't really ring my bell to get into that, that upper echelon. Cool. Okay. What's the one you missed out on in 2002, Ronan? Mine is a sliding doors moment. Now, a lot of these games that I'm going to talk about, I have owned at some point. And then because I'm an idiot and I buy too many games and trade for too many games and get too many secondhand games, and then 
my house ends up overflowing and at some point even the almost limitless patience of Rachel is pushed to the point where she's some of these have got to go You're, you know you're describing me as well right yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she's like I can't get to the bed without climbing over four levels like, kind of a bit like a mass trilogy game going up and down up and down just to get to the bed anyway I've got to get rid of them sometimes Hammer off the Scots is one of these games that I used to go and I used to touch it a little bit in Orc's Nest when I first got into the hobby and I'd hear about it. But in effect, it's a two-player war game whereby it's one, the King Edward's going up to Scotland and doing all sorts of horrible things. And one side's the English and you put your blocks on a map so the other player can see where your blocks are, but they can't see what your blocks are. So it's kind of, I guess, Tigo, but way, way more than that. And the other side is the Scottish. And you go through campaign through winter and summer, and it's easy to do things in summer. And you're trying to psych each other out and achieve certain goals. The reason really for this being a sliding doors game for me is because when you first come into the hobby, it is very, very broad. And I think people sort of don't appreciate that at times, that we are all gamers and there are a massive variety of different types of games and certain ones are going to pull you in and you'll decide you're that sort of a gamer or this sort of a gamer. Right at the beginning, I was no sort of a gamer. I just wanted to play everything. I was just excited by everything. I wanted to see what they were all like. And Hammer of the Scots was one where if I had played it early on and really got into it, I could see that I may have gone down much more of a path towards being a war gamer because they intrigued me so much. But I could never get the right partner to be like, so I had a couple of times with people, I'd be like, I'll teach you this. And they'd be like, yeah, but we would have to play it again and again and again. We're not going to get the opportunity. So because I didn't have that regular player to play it with all the time, I never really dug into it or I never played it. I learned it like three times. I never played it. And it is one of those where maybe I could be a war gamer, Sean, if Hammer of the Scots had made its way to the table. It's one where I, when I was doing my research for this, I looked at it and I was like, Ronan was always banging on about Hammer of the Scots. So I do remember you talking about him wanting to play it back in the day. Not one that I was ever interested in. You've probably made it sound a hundred more times interesting than I ever thought it was, just in your description there. So yeah, m- maybe one day, Ronan. Yeah, you've been telling me that for about... War gamer. You've been telling me that for about 15 years, maybe one day. You're one of the culprits in this that stopped me from achieving my dreams. Is that what it is? Right, okay. Moving on to my 2003 pick. Jewel of Ages, Ronan, is a funny little construction (laughs) where you are effectively pitting historic figures together and fighting with them. Loads of variability, I'm told. It's one that finally forced its way into my consciousness. And it was a bit of a slow burn to actually get there. I started to think, actually, that could be really interesting. Uh, I know that Tom Vassell's a big fan of it. And and I recently learned that our friend Nathan is a big fan of Jewel of Ages as well. So with him and Tom Vassell pushing this one into my consciousness, it was something that I really wanted to try out. Now, when I was genuinely interested in getting this one to the table, I couldn't find it anywhere. It was kind of in that middle period where it was really hard to get. But now that it's more available, it's kind of put, it's gone away a little bit from my consciousness. So I think one day at a LobsterCon or something similar, UK Expo, hopefully there's somebody that's playing it that knows the game quite well because I believe it's a hard teach. And I can I can jump in on a game of Jewel of Ages. Now, I appreciate that this list was a bit harder to put together than we may have anticipated. Being that there weren't that many games released back in these early years, 
For me, once we get start, to the mid- Sorry? I thought you were going to start having a go at my choice there. I am. I'm just building up to it. Don't come. <laughs> when we get towards the middle years, it gets difficult because I played almost everything that came out. So to pick ones out that I hadn't played was more difficult. I still can't forgive you choosing what is just a bad game. The only reason Nathan has any interest in it is because Tom Vassell banged on about it. Tom Vassell banged on about it while everyone around him went, this is not a good game, Tom. It's got a terrible rating on BGG. This is just the power of advertising working on you. And it's not advertising. It's the fact that someone could influence you and say something's good, something's good, and you go, oh, that's supposed to be good. I want to try it. This game, having never played it, it's probably awful. Everyone else says it's awful. <laughs> but does the concept not intrigue you? Being able to pit just anyone, really, from history against each other. You can even make up your own characters and your own board pieces. No. Not, does that not intrigue you? No. Robin Hood against a, a tank. <laughs> There's one winner there. There's only one tank winner there. Tank isn't a character. A tank isn't a character from history. Against Thomas the Tank Engine. There you go. That is. Did that not intrigue you? Are they on rails or not? That's the only way to go. You're a husk. Surely play unmatched. Surely it's been done now. I have played unmatched. And? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's, it could be like that. It's fun. It's I'm fun. playing unmatched soon. I've got Cobble and Fog because it's the... You know that they're going to announce that they're taking one set out of the cycle every year or whatever Cobble and Fog was the first one they're taking out I think they're just doing it to make people buy it and make it rare or whatever but yeah anyway, of course I've... it is a marketing ploy yeah I got the Moon Knight one. Oh yeah of course you did but the Cobble and Fog thing worked I bought <laughs> it so I'm going to be playing it soon right my game from 2003 is an actual good game so you can listen to this bit it's called Princes of the Renaissance and it's by Martin Wallace Prince of the Renaissance puts you in the role of not quite top tier families in Italy during the Renaissance, and what you're trying to do is influence what goes on around the five city-states that were powers there of Milan and Florence and Venice and what have you. And you are trying to influence how wars go. You're trying to do lots and lots of auctions to try and take on personalities or sort of vague characters like merchants that will mean you'll get more money for more auctions later on, or you can get a Medici who will mean you'll be able to do a particularly nasty thing to each other. And the problem is with Prince of the Renaissance is it's hard to get to the table. Because you can play it without being mean to each other, but it takes a little bit away from it. To get to the full depth, you really can screw each other up very badly. Not only are there wars, now you're not directly... But one of you isn't Milan and one of you isn't Venice. You're influencing what happens and you're adjusting your state within the game to be able to benefit from whoever wins each particular war so it's quite confusing to start with it's got loads of auctions that people don't particularly love it's got treachery backhanded treachery and it's got direct conflict between it and it's also very very ugly so it's a niche it's the reason why i never bought it and then it seems to have had its time by the time i came in and started wanting to play it about four years later so to find a group that's willing to get into prince of the renaissance take the hits, be mean to each other, probably spend a few games to really dig into the systems there, which are quite obtuse. It's not completely smooth. It's one of those Martin Wallace games where there are more ideas than there are functionality, possibly, but yet can come out in the wash and be an amazing game. So still intrigued by Prince of the Renaissance, never had a chance to play it. I think it's quite hard to find someone who plays it anymore, but should the chance arise, I would like to. I was sure when I was doing my research that I'd played this with you and obviously not. I think therein lies the problem with Princess of the Renaissance is that it's one of those games that kind of blends into that sea of 
Renaissance beige. You right. Okay. You right. <laughs> <laughs> so you think you? I've played one of those eight games, but I'm not sure which one. It could have been any of them. I played six of them. What are the other two? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Medici's are in it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of thirty. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this one in gameplay was a bit different, but in presentation and name was too generic. For us, by the time we came along, although, as we just said, there were so few games back then that everyone knew it at the time. Also, by the time we came along, people were burned out on that kind of style of game. They were looking for something new, and we got we got swept up in that clamour for something new other than those types of games. We are two people who like to be swept up in a clamour. We do. We do like a clamour. Anyway, moving on to 2004. 2004 has the game that you're probably going to raise your eyebrows the, the higher for. <laughs> it's Memoir 44, and I have never played Memoir Good 44. golly gosh. I know, I know. Again, coming into the hobby, I wasn't really interested in becoming a war gamer and not really known much about Memoir 44. I just assumed that it was a kind of deep, thinky war game, which it is. It's quite a thinky war game, but in a different way. I think there's more fun and they... They don't delve into the horrors of war as much as some of the other games might do. And slowly, again, much like Duel of Ages, it kind of crept into my consciousness that I actually want to give this one a go. I've seen the big, massive games going on at LobsterCon. I can't remember what the... Overlord. Overlord version of the game looks absolutely a ton of fun. But yeah, there you go. Memoir 44, I haven't quite managed to, to get it played. I'm having a vision of two years in the future and it's Henry and Nathan sitting down opposite a table of Sean and James and you like the best <laughs> time ever because he's got all of it he's, he's the overlord person who brings all the stuff along he loves it he lives near you now you're going to end up playing it with him it is a ton of fun the two player game is fun and when you start off probably because of the nature of the dice rolling and the limit of your choices and the cards that tell you this is what you can do this turn you feel like, oh, there's not that much to do. But actually, it is not just tactical, but you have to have a bit of strategy going on there as well. And you certainly can be a good player and a bad player at it. It's not a load of old nonsense. You have to plan ahead and prioritise. And when you're moving around, you have to actually move sensibly and have backup for each other and cover and things like that, which means I'm terrible at it. But... If you want me to play that Overlord, I'll play it every single time. In fact, I prefer playing Overlord so someone can give me some hints and help me out a little bit and take me <laughs> in the right direction. And Hungover Memoir 44 Overlord is one of my favourite experiences at a gaming con, let me tell you. So what you're saying to me is I need to dust my copy, because I do own a copy, off and make James play it every day for two years so we get really good <laughs> so we can beat Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say he was good at it. Okay. <laughs> Cue your point in your laughter and your mockery, Sean. <laughs> All right, Nelson. My 2004 choice from Splotter is a box yeah. of tiles, and it's called mm. Antiquity. Did you not get rid of your copy of Antiquity quite recently? Oh, quite years ago, about four years ago. Oh, was it? Yeah. Was that not the one where you, where you just stacked them all in the box? And we yeah, and you've forgotten the story. You've told it a million times on the podcast. <laughs> I punched it in Essen and then I opened it up and all it is is just beige tiles that all look the same and have a name on. And I mean hundreds of these things. And I didn't have the heart to get it sorted. So I just traded it on as it was. 
And it, this is almost another placeholder for every single splotter game because I could be wrong, but I don't think I've ever played a splotter game despite having interest. And in fact, one's going to come up when we do the next show as well. Really? I love to play. Have you not played Fruit Chain Magnet. No, you bought it for me. I still haven't played it. It's still in the list. I want to play it. Uh, I got people playing it for the first time at LobsterCon. Actually, surprisingly enough, this one. Yeah, there's loads. There's loads of them. I'd love to give a go at. People, those people were playing Bus at LobsterCon as well because of the reprint. Mm. Uh, Horses Carriage that just came out. I'm intrigued by it, but like all of them, it's really expensive, and yeah. it's a particular <laughs> style of in-depth. For nickety knickety euro that I'm not sure I'm going to love. I think I'm going to more be interested in than actually want to get into it and become one of my favourites. And when you're asking me to spend now 80 quid for a game with not great components, and I get why they do it and they've got their fans and the rest of it, but it keeps me away because I'm not going to spend 80 quid in a game that I think I'm going to be intrigued by this. It's going to be interesting, but I'm not going to love it. So with Antiquity, I did bother to buy it and then looked at it and it genuinely, and this really happens, it was so ugly. I just couldn't be bothered to learn it. But I have had people promise to teach me antiquity. I'm sure I mentioned that every two years in the podcast. It hasn't happened yet. It's one of those, yeah, we'll, we'll get there one day, jobs. One day, someone's going to teach me this game. I'm going to play it, and I'm going to love it. I'm going to be gutted that I traded it. But I did, because just looking at their games depresses me a little bit. Antiquity scares the hell out of me. It just looks such a trial to try and get to the table so it always terrified me i was hoping that you would actually learn it and teach it to me but uh that day is yet to come but hopefully one day no it's not gonna happen right <laughs> let's go to 2005 sure probably my most sort of hmm, weird choice here well after after jewel of ages it's mall of horror being a big fan of the george romero dead series my favourite ones of those was Dawn of the Dead and Mall of Horror is effectively Dawn of the Dead the board game you are running from a bunch of zombies in a massive mall you're hiding, you're searching for things and it just sounds wonderful. I was always put off by it being three players I was worried that I wouldn't get it to the table and by the time I decided actually you know what there's enough people I could rope in to play this now it's just gone. You can't. It's very hard to get. I can't find it. It pops up every now and again on the math trade. Yeah, Mall of Horror was one that really intrigued me from the first time I ever saw it because of that subject matter. Yeah, I think City of Horror, the sequel, made more of a splash sword, and that was around when I was playing, and there was the chance for me to play that. I think they refined the system a bit more by the time it got to there. The problem is, I think, when they refined it, is they took the... In Mall of Horror, there is a voting system... And within the players, you choose who's the chief security and they make promises. And then you're not always incentivized to follow in on the promises you've made. And I think that that balance of it was what their USP was. That, yeah, you were kind of working together, but actually you had to kill the most zombies and survive as well. And you could get eliminated from the game. And I think in City of Horror they took the idea and made it even more so where you were kind of part of the winning strategy was to get other players eliminated and I don't think the enemy treachery was as strong as Mall of Horror but it was that weird semi-co-op thing of yeah I'm, we're working together but I want to kill the most and that's what's always kept me away from both of those games I would basically end up just playing full co-op in that situation like if there's a game where we're against each other I'll be as mean as can be that's fine in the game where we're supposed to be helping each other but not really and someone actually wins I just end up playing co-op and going yeah you won that's fine I don't care 
Yeah, that's probably the way I would play it too. Just uh, straight up can't see it. Let's, let's try and see if we can all survive rather than just some of us. So it did tickle me at the time, and it's still, I'd still like to give it a go. Fair enough. My 2005 choice is a Wolfgang Kramer game without his buddy Kiesling, and it's called Hacienda. And it's based in the farmlands of South America. And there's a dual system to it. And I actually think you would be very good at this game. There's an economy whereby you are trying to claim bits of land by getting certain cards and then putting your animals on these landscape types by playing the cards. And when you can get your animals next to each other, you're forming a herd. And then you're trying to via that play and via spending money and buying animals to put on, on these tiles you've claimed or these spaces you've claimed, connect them to markets, which will make you more money, which will make you more powerful than when you're trying to build up this dual thing of claiming land and then getting the right animals in the right place to create chains and groups. However, you don't win by making the most money. You win by scoring the most points, which is all to do with how many markets you link to. And that dual system always intrigued me. It's not the highest rated game, but it's not always like pure ratings that you need to go on. It's whether there's things in there that you think you'd find interesting. They reprinted it in 2019. I had the first edition for a long time. And again, it's one that never quite made it to the top of my playlist. It went again when we had to make space. The second edition has been floating around now for a few years. I still haven't made the leap and grabbed hold of it. It's one that if it's ever up in a, a math trade, stuff like that, but it's, it's never been a huge release. It's never been a big hit. So it's not always around the place. But if it is up, I always go, oh, Hacienda. I always wanted to play that. I never quite have. And it's just a little niggle in the back of my brain that I'm going to need to scratch one day. So Hacienda, Sean. I was just looking it up, Rodan, because I couldn't for the life of me think what it even looked like. And I can see why. <laughs> it's another one of those covers, isn't it? But you've made it sound really, really interesting. And now I've, I'm literally looking to see if I can get a play of that and grab hold of a copy. So I will track it down because it sounds really cool. So I'm well not done. sure it is really cool. I think it's probably just cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to 2006. And I've cheated on this one. I'm sorry. It's technically a 1985 game, but I never ever saw the 1985 game. It's Warrior Knights. And you are mostly to blame for me really wanting to play this because you played it a few times and you and a few of your friends used to talk about it constantly for a little while. I remember when this happened. You remember when that happened? Oh, how funny was that when we ganged up on him? And how I did look into it at the time. It's all about taking over a, a map and... You choose your actions, but then you mix your cards so you don't know what order your actions are coming out. Well, that sounded interesting to me as well. Why didn't I never get to play it? Because we we look for angles on these on these games. Why did we not get to play it? I can't really tell you why I never got to play this one because maybe I wasn't in the right place at the right time when you had a copy and when other, other of our friends had copies and you kind of moved them on and... I just never quite managed to be there when the game was mooted. But uh, I'd love to give a go of Warrior Knights. This is one of the games that I dug into with that original game group. I've gone about Brass and Pandemic and Small World and Kingsburg and stuff like that. This is one of those that was in rotation. And we did have a lot of fun with it. And I'll always remember it. And I think why it was so memorable for us, yes, it is a fine game. But it was at the point where we could take more direct interaction between each other. I think when we first initially started playing, we didn't want to be directly attacking each other because 
one or two of people around the table wouldn't be as into games or as quite on the ball or getting all the mechanisms. And it felt a bit like picking on people. Apart from picking on Steve who taught us all the games because that was always fine. Warrior Knights came at the point where we were all a bit more confident in playing games and it provided us with that ability to be mean to each other. But you couldn't go all out because you'd leave yourself wide open because there was multiple players playing. If you went all at once someone, the other players would come in and steal your stuff behind you. But not really quickly. You'd have to see this develop across the map. So it is that intriguing, and it was knights, and it was swords, and it was armour, which is all cool. We're all little kids at the end of the day, and we like that sort of stuff. So it was the right game at the right time for our group. And like you say, we enjoyed it many many times I had lots of laughs we still talk about the lot stupid alliances we made and gave names to them and the backstabbing and all the rest of it so yeah Warrior Knights is sort of a little personal classic to that little group of players that I don't get to play much with anymore but still see them cool your 2006 choice Ryan is my shame ongoing shame in terms of a game that I've never played more pointing and mockery turn and taxes Sean from Karen oh, okay. and Andreas Seyfarth. Yeah, never played it. It's the will of Olympus, I've decided, that I've never played this game because I've put <laughs> it out there. I'm interested. It looks good. It's the type of game that I like. I'd like to play it. I have been next to it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I've been at events or people's houses and go, if you're going to play Turn Taxis, let me know. And they'll come up and go, we're about to start Turn Taxis. And I'll be like, I'm 10 minutes into a two and a half hour game. That has happened 4,000 times to me, I reckon. <laughs> at least. At least. Something is preventing me. I think if I ever play this game, the, the sky will crack or the statues will start to weep or the trees will die. Something will happen because something in the universe is preventing me from playing Turn and Taxis. It's a classic. People still enjoy it. You used to see it around way, 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 way more than it is now. but And yet you still see it and people still enjoy it. So Turn and Taxis, the German postal system game, Huge gaping hole in my back catalogue. For a long time, Turn and Taxis was just something I avoided because it sounded so boring. And then I think it was Chris Marling kind of made us play a game once and I enjoyed it so much that I bought a copy. I still have that copy and I never played it again because it sounds boring. <laughs> I've forgotten how good it was and I kind of know that it was good, but I've forgotten why it was good. So... I struggle to get it back to the table. But Ronan, I have a copy. If you're willing, I'm willing. We're meeting up very soon. I can bring it down with me. Why don't we add that to the rotation? Sure, sure. I'm making you play on Mars with me on Friday, by the way. Please don't make me play on Mars on Friday. I'm making you play on Mars with me on Friday. I thought I'd drop that bomb here so that you know that it's going to happen. Prepare yourself. (laughs) Moving on, right. 2007. The game that I'm going to bring up is Marrakesh. And it's a very simple one in, in this instance. It's because the little rugs look so cool. And I always wanted to play it. And I, every time I'd go walk past the table, I'd be like, oh, that's really cool. And then you'd pick up a little rug and you'd feel it and you'd wave it and maybe annoy them really much because it'd be straight off the board and they'd punch you. Very tactile, feely game. I believe it's a very tactical game. But what put me off it is that it's not the best rated game out there on BGG. I looked it up. It's 6.7. It's not It's not terrible. It's not bad. 6.7. It does have its detractors. And I think being the fickle person that I am, that's kind of put me off a little bit. But I'd still love to give it a go one day. That's Marrakesh. I've played it, but it was prior to login plays. So it must have been around when it came out. My <laughs> recollection is nil. 
little, I know, not Neil, I remember the little carpets. I know that it was one of the introductory games that went down very well for a long time at London on board. I, that's about as much as I know about Marrakesh, so I couldn't even tell you whether I liked <laughs> it or not. But yeah, great, let's, let's play it again. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Your choice. My 2007 choice harks back to a, a younger, more idealistic, and, and a dreamer, Ronan, if you can remember back to those days, Sean. Someone who thought great things about the world. And <laughs> I came in and I saw this game and it grabbed me completely by the theme of World War One, still going in 1949. And both sides digging into the occult and finding these power sites and then fighting over sort of like a, you know, a cavern where there's some whatever to, to help them you know the idea of the occults and and the german army back in the day and all the rest of it but transported with a world war one sort of overlay to it and it's a squad level mini skirmish game called tannhauser and that idea another one of those boxes it was in a big coffin box that you'd look at it in the game store and go wow just the whole idea grabbed me and people have made a game of the sort of stuff that comes to me just from about to drift off to sleep wouldn't that be cool they've done it wow and it just you blow in your mind when you're discovering this hobby and all the great creativity therein never having bought it and then as you go deeper into the hobby and you just go yeah you form taste nothing ever comes to forming taste about something or becoming more discerning about anything this is a, a drum that i beat very often don't get into anything don't become a snob. Of course it happens, but don't try not to. Don't become a snob about books, Ronan, you've done it. Don't become a snob about games, Ronan, you've done it. Don't don't ignore Tannhauser just because everyone says it's a bad game, Ronan. But I've ignored it, Sean. And yet it still <laughs> remains there for me that I just want to have played it. It just is such a cool concept. Possibly poorly executed, but I still want to play Tannhauser. I own this one briefly. I got it in a maths trade and I really did try to get it to the table, but I found it so difficult to learn. I gave up and I traded it away again. So uh, yeah, there was another barrier. Well, even if you'd have got to it, there was another barrier. Well, trust me. Oh, it, it didn't. It had the whole like rulers and measuring things out and everything. I'm pretty sure as a game, terrible. I'm holding on to it as a dream more than do I actually want to play it. Oh, no, I, but I want to hold on to the dream of being able to play it. Weird little story about Tannhauser. So I traded the game back, but when I originally got it, being me, I, I need expansions for this game I've never tried. And I managed to get this little <laughs> this little tiny box. And it was like a kit expansion or something. And I, I bought it, and it was like the last one available in the shop, and I bought it. And I forgot all about it, even when I traded it away. I forgot, oh, I should have put that in the box. Oh, well, never mind. Chucked it in the corner. Reading later, people go mental bidding like 50, 60, 100 quid for it. Apparently, it was only a very limited print and it went out of print very quickly and people who had the game couldn't get hold of it and they were going mad to try and get hold of it. So I sold it at a nice little profit. Yay! <laughs> the problem with that story is that it fuels your, your lunacy. Like that does, one yeah, success is like, oh, we better buy all of these expansions because they might end up being valuable. Not untrue. Anyway, 2008, Cosmic Encounter has been lauded by many people. But I've always felt that it's been more of an American... I know it's an Ameritrash-type game, 
I think it's more popular in America. I don't see it, and I haven't seen it being played in the UK that often. And that's one of the reasons I've never got to play it. And also, the, you need to play it with a massive player count. It seems like the type of game that I would have a lot of fun with. There's lots of interaction, lots of negotiating with people, variable powers, and... I've heard, I've heard great things. I've heard terrible things about it as well. But it just seems like the type of game I would play. But the number of people required to play and the fact that it doesn't seem to be that popular in the UK has been the reasons I haven't played it. At what point do you think that I need to do an intervention to prevent Tom Vassell from controlling your whole life? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. There's a reason I say that. That's because Cosmic Encounter is an absolutely terrible game. Okay. <laughs> it's awful. You don't need a massive player count, by the way. You can play with like four or five, whatever. Can you? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm totally going to see right. what the BGG rating is. It's 7.5. I just checked and I was disgusted by so, it. It's just so obviously world. not a terrible game. Uh, look at the BGG rating for Strike. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I, look, one of Lloyd's favourite stories is, and the same thing happened to me, sitting there as the fourth player in a game... And it going first player turn, second player's turn, third player's turn. Third player does something, third player's turn, second's turn, first player's turn, fifth player's turn, the game's over. <laughs> yeah, and people thinking that's funny and that's okay. And you can sit there for 60 minutes watching them laugh and guffaw and play cards and think, and then you just, you're literally doing nothing. And then they go, oh, that was such a good game. You did notice I was here, right? Like I could, I could have been a stuffed toy. For everything that I did in this game. Everything you try and do, someone's got a card that counteracts it and you can't do that and this is my power. I know the 17 card takes out the 73 card because it's a Tuesday and it's just gobshitery. And it takes too long for the level of gobshitery that it is. Awful. You're wrong, but BGG says you're wrong, but carry on. I don't care what BGG says. I don't care. There's a few games in those rankings we can start talking about if you want to. Okay. My 2008 is the other one of those sliding door moments, but this one is for GMT games. Again, there's there's a lot of... I feel like this is almost a concept piece, Sean. Like, the concept of 100 GMT games is amazing. And I look at it and you go, that is so cool. My mental capacity for learning and getting into many GMT games is limited. And yet still they have made some of the finest games I've ever enjoyed. Dominant Species and... Time of Crisis, and I don't know, whatever ones, the other ones that I love. They had a game called Maneuver, which was a hex map, hugely flexible battle system, which came with, I, I mean, like 12 factions or something in the box, and they all played differently, they all had different units. And if this had been done by FFG over five years, costing a grand to get it all with minis, people would have gone doolally about it. But it was done by GMT with just chits and hexes and all in one box with an absolute ton of gameplay based around, I think, like Napoleonic era. So you'd have like the Hussars and the French and the Prussians and the whatever it might be. I had the box. I went through it. I learned it again a couple of times and just once again, completely struggled to find anyone within my gaming groups who would be willing to play it. But not play it once, play it again and again and again and again to get into the subtleties and get into it. And it's a problem with all two-player games, but especially if I get out this boring-looking box with, like, a hex paper map and chips and stuff like that, people are like, no. No, Ronan, it's not happening. So Maneuver is one that I feel like you could play a thousand times and still enjoy. 
and was incredible value for money and has rave ratings about it. And anyone I know has ever played it rates it highly. But I just couldn't talk anyone into playing its poor, ugly-looking self. While you were talking there, I was having a look at its ugly-looking self. And yes, it's very ugly. And one of the games that I would absolutely be one of those people that was like, no, Ronan, not happening. <laughs> you were. Probably makes, I probably was. <laughs> and that probably makes me a bad person. And I'm sure it, deep down under the ugly facade of the game, there is a beautiful product lying within. But you'd have to get me very drunk and, and tickle me in the right places to get me to play that one. If I got you very drunk, there's no way you were learning that game. <laughs> True. <laughs> I would dice. I want to eat dice. Probably dice. <laughs> My 2009 choice is something, again, influenced by your good self. So between you and Tom Vassell, I'm very easy. Now okay, I'm, taken... I'm not comfortable with being in that bracket, <laughs> fine. I've taken it ahead of Tales of the Arabian Nights, which I've never played and I've always wanted to. Awful! Okay, but I know you're on side with this one because you have lauded it many times. It's Homesteaders. And we talked about it very recently being a game that I still haven't managed to get to the table. The initial reasons, as we all know, are the horrible quality of the product itself. Uh, the wooden bits were fine. It's just that everything else was mouldy and smelly. I mean, what's your problem? Well, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> it was so beige. It, the original versions just looked so terrible. I just couldn't ever imagine myself enjoying it. And you've banged on about it so much that you've just bludgeoned me into submission and I really want to give it a go now. So Homestead is my 2009 choice. If ever there was a man that needed bludgeoning into submission, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know I love it, so I'm just going to go on to mine. Now, we are getting into the era where I was voracious for games. I'm playing so, so, so many games every year. And like what I did with my time was I worked or I had my kids or I played games. That was it. <laughs> right? Nothing else happened. So this becomes much more difficult to find games that I have any interest in and yet I haven't played. Because I would have hunted them down. I would have bought them. I would have found someone else who had it and I would have played them somewhere. At people's houses, London board, wherever. I was just constantly playing games. Genuinely like... Finishing work, playing games for hours, getting two hours sleep, going back to work, and then go play games again. This was this was what I did. So these are going to get a bit more esoteric, and they're going to lean again into slightly weird areas a lot of the time. And I'm back again to another. This is a war game slash Euro game, which had a very small print run. I've seen it twice. I almost owned it once, but I have never been able to get God's Playground to the table. It was a Martin Wallace design. It was based on a particular... There's a European historian called Norman Davis who's quite famous if you're into European history and he wrote a book about the history of Poland and it's about the Polish and the Habsburgs and I think the Prussians. There's three factions. It's a three-player-only game and it has Euro elements within it in your actual selection stuff and yet you're fighting over Poland. And you can do like a sweeping victory of taking the area, but there's also other ways of scoring points in order to get a win by the end of the game. And it didn't have a massive long play time. It wasn't massively hard to learn. It had a few rough edges around it as well, a little bit fiddly, and yet had this sort of intrigue and difference and interest to it. But due to the tiny print run, I just never have had a chance to play God's Playground. But this is one that I actually think wouldn't be that difficult to get to the table. I think I can sell this. 
I've just never had it in my hand in order to persuade anyone else to get going with it. So I, <laughs> I'd never seen God's Playground, so I looked at what re-implemented it, and it was a, a game called Bose Grisio, Grisco, literally a year later. And then... Would that be that is Polish by any chance? It could be. <laughs> but then that was re-implemented by the Magnates, which I have heard of. Magnates has a much lower rating than either of the previous implementations. So I have heard of the Magnates, never heard of the original one, which I can't even remember the name. That's God's Playground. God's Playground. Much like your previous game, I'd have run a mile if you'd have presented that to me, just based on the looks of it. But the Magnates is something I was sniffing around. So I have kind of heard of it. So you, I'm just going to, like, I'm sure some people have noticed and you haven't, but I'm just going to kind of solidify this, that the higher rated game you're not interested in, but the one that's slightly prettier but rated much lower, you'd rather play. <laughs> the, one, the only one I'd heard of, yes. I'm just clarifying, that's all. I'm always a bit wary of re-implements on BGG. It seems to be a little bit arbitrary, and I don't know who mm. makes the decision, because re-implements can be exactly the same game with a different skin, or can yeah. be, takes 40% of the mechanics of that, or it could be takes 90% of the mechanics of that, and yet that 10% change can be huge to change the actual experience of playing the game. So I'm always a bit like, re-implements always gives me a bit of a... I think sure. you are absolutely right to question it, because Martin Wallace isn't the designer of the Magnate. It's Yarrow Andrusevich and Vadlek Gwemini. So they might have like taken the idea or the heart of it and then put it in and they yeah. might have said, oh, I, we credit God's Playground because it's inspired our, our design. And then someone decided, well, that's a re-implementation. Well, you should be credited there. And yeah, re-implements, yeah. I'm not touching that. I agree. I agree. Moving on, my 2010 one is Earth Reborn. Originally, I was drawn to it by the theme. Interesting post-apocalyptic theme where you're searching in the world as you're coming up. You're coming up as two factions, and they're directly opposing factions fighting for control of the Earth after a, an apocalyptic event has happened, and they've had to go underground for many years. I was drawn to it because there's different missions and scenarios, and each of them are slightly different. There's some of them that are task-based, some of them that are area control, some of them are straight-up battle. That drew me to it. The thing that put me off... Again, it was one where I read the rule book and it just was like tumbleweed. Like, what's going on here? I have no idea how this game actually plays and the mechanisms of it. And that drew me away from it. But I would love it if somebody who knew the game really well was able to teach it to me. Because I'd still love to play Earth Reborn. A fire upon you. <laughs> I'm going to throw your ashes in a ditch and allow my herd to graze there and, and defecate on you. I'm done with you. Why have you played it? I had it. I'd say it was my number two, two choice for this slot. I tried to get you to play this game for about four years. I don't remember that. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Look at the theme. I don't like conflicting games. Sure, it's amazing. It's, look at this. I know it's hard to learn, but we're going to we have to play it a few times. This is a theme for a lot of my games. We have to play it a few times to get the most out of it. I don't like conflicting games. I had it as well. <laughs> Chris Marlin gave it to me in, in a trade. <laughs> I hate you. Fair enough. Right, you're 2010. So I went in completely the other direction. There was, again, you look around, there's different areas. 
At London on board, there was a fairly healthy 18xx community, which I nibbled round the edges off. I played uh, the one, the sort of 18xx-ish, Ohio and something, something, something. Some name of a railway company. Yeah, I know there's probably like 100 games that sound like that. And I was like, eh, there's a lot of maths. And I got absolutely destroyed. And the people who taught it didn't teach it very noob-friendly. We were basically bodies for them to destroy. But, okay, I was like, mm, we can get to something here. And again, I was playing so many games, I just wanted to play everything and see everything. There was a game released that was, this is a Euro 18xx hybrid, which will, if you're a Euro player, give you the launch pad to understand the whole stocks and movement and route building in 18xx without you getting smashed by someone because there's Euro bits to it as well. And if you like that element, then you'll be able to have some sort of basis to move on to 18xx. So again, this is a door that I never stepped through, but I'm sure... See, myself and a guy called Jay, who used to go to London Board, talked about it, and he said he's going to buy it, and we'll play it together. And then weren't at the same London Board for a few weeks while he taught a few people. By the time I caught up with him again, he taught it like eight weeks in a row and was like, nah, like I need a break from this one, right? And then we'll play it again in a few weeks. And it never happened. And it, I haven't told you the name of the game, have I? No. It's you called... on about 18xx. <laughs> yeah, it's called Poseidon. It was set in ancient Greece, or classical Greece, and it was about... Rather than having the stations and the cities in America or wherever, at right, 18xx, it was the city states and the routes you were making were naval routes and you were making money, but also you had a bit more Euro sort of stuff going on in the background. And it all played in under two hours. And it was done by Lonnie Orula and Helmut Oli, who are Euro designers and stuff. So I still kind of would like to play Poseidon to at least give me a better understanding of that sort of stock system and things, which I've only ever tickled round and kind of broke my head because I'm simple. So, yeah, sorry, that was quite long-winded and I should have said the name of the game. Poseidon is the game. <laughs> a, a weird little sort of star of its own for a few months in 2010 that's faded away. It's like it's like a, a one-hit wonder from 13 years ago. This one I do remember, and I remember actually I did want to play it at the time. It was just when I was starting to sort of be aware of things like board game geek and things like that so it was around that time and it did make a little splash and disappeared quite quickly but it, it did seem quite interesting and i definitely wanted to play it at the time i think i was a little bit frightened back in 2010 because i was mainly playing a merry trash style style games with the odd euro thrown in from our friend steve who forced us to play some brutal euros which put me off euros a little bit yeah, I'd, I'd still like to give this one a go, Ron. It's a good choice. I'm not sure they were brutal Euros. I think we were just so bad at them that it felt brutal. <laughs> yeah, they were brutal in that they were way above our sort of level of the time. We were just hosed every time by Steve. <laughs> For years. It still For hurts. Years. It still hurts. <laughs> right, last one of the episode from May 2011. And the game I'd like to bring to the table eventually is Lancaster. What brought me initially to Lancaster was was the product quality it was a queen game and it looked like really nice bits and nicely designed board what have you when I dug into it a little bit deeper it's a worker placement which I really like worker placement 
and it's those sort of powered workers where you've got a, like a different strengths of your workers and you can sort of usurp other workers that are in spaces and get the better reward. The rest of it's quite straight up economy and euro where you're driving to score more points than other people. But that was the bit that really intrigued me. I do own this one. I have tried on quite a few occasions and this is the most sort of happenstance and circumstances based one. I've brought this to the table and I've learned it about two or three maybe even four times and every single time something weird like one of the kids has had an accident or nat's had to go out because she gets a call from her nan and granddad one time and and things like that just weird like it's cursed every time we bring it to the table something weird happens to stop me playing it so i'm not sure if i'm meant to play lancaster but i'd like to one day my 2011 choice is lancaster Hey! <laughs> <At last. laughs> theme. The theme is what's grabbed me. I've read a bit about the War of the Roses, the whole idea of Lancastrian King, Henry V, the setting of the laws, which means you shape how the game goes every time. It is, Sean, going to be reviewed by me this year. I've got the plan of the older games lined up. It's in there. <laughs> I will soon be playing Lancaster by hook or by crook. It's going to happen. So I'll let you know when it's going to happen. Right. Because let's, let's coordinate so we play it roughly the same time. Oh, I'm mad together. for it. I've been mad for it for years. And again, one of those ones where you, people played it around me. My friends have played it. I just have never been there for those games. And I go, oh, should you want to play Lancaster? Oh, we played it last week. Why? <laughs> I was so, going to say, hopefully we play it together, but you don't want me to, <laughs> to be sitting around the table because your roof will probably fall in or something. <laughs> Due to your curse and everybody will play it. <laughs> don't know what you're banging on about there. Yeah, well, you at least had one good choice in all there. There. So there you go, everyone. Those were the games for us that we missed from those years. I hope you found that interesting. It gives us an idea of some more games we'll promise to play and probably won't in 10 years' time. We'll still want to play these ones. Apart from Lancaster, that's getting played. So thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us, and please do, Give us an email at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com or pop along to our Board Game Geek Guild. We are present on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and thank you very much for listening to The Game Pit. Music by E. Aaron. Boy, 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 boy,